I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Sophia McLennan, Ph.D. Uh, her new book is Trump Was a Joke, How Satire Made Sense of a President That Didn't. According to sought-after politics and satire expert Dr. Sophia A. McLennan, the only way to cure the overwhelmingly political fatigue that many people are experiencing as we gear up for the 2024 election is through comedy, specifically satire. As she explains, there is one antidote to the depression, anxiety, and frustration we feel in having to pay attention to the politicians and issues that exhaust us, and that's comedy, especially satirical comedy. Uh, And I'm quoting her, my groundbreaking new research proves that satire is the number one powerful political tool. It likely stopped Trump from being elected to 2020, and the party that manages to use satire best will have a massive advantage in the 2024 election. She's appeared on CNN's six-part series, The Story of Late Night, on Neil deGrasse Tyson's National Geographic show, Star Talk, and in a top-performing Vox video. She's also a regular columnist for Salon.com. Dr. McLennan, a Harvard graduate, is professor of international affairs and comparative literature at Penn State University and founding director of the Center for Global Studies, where she has raised over $6 million in funding. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on today. Thanks for having me. So comedy and satire amidst all of this, I guess, horrific political, uh, what I would call, and I think you've called it that too, or referred to it. It's depressing. It's anxiety producing. Uh, you know, it's, it's every say it's 24, 24, seven news service, uh, political fatigue as you've referred to it. And also referred to, to what's happening is political fatigue that endangers our democracy. But how is satire? I guess my question is how is satire going to mitigate or, uh, help us to be able to, uh, uh, well, a- actually mitigate this process that that's that's occurring. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is the kind of thing that uh, sometimes goes a little bit against your uh, sort of gut reaction. You think, how could comedy or satire play a pa- positive role in something as important as the democratic process? But the first thing to to remember is that in the United States today, much of our political involvement is driven from fear and anxiety and a fairly negative uh, media messaging space, whether it's from the politicians themselves or the ways in which the news media covers these issues. So the electorate is already existing in a very highly emotional space, and it's one that tends to be quite negative. So when you think of that as the baseline, then you start to understand that satire offers a particularly unique foil for that because it allows us to come at these issues with the kind of um, emotional release of comedy, but it also does something different, which is that it asks the mind to think about complex issues in a complex way. Because satire isn't sort of just bullying and mocking and making fun of, you know, Trump's hair and Biden's, uh, you know, age. It's framing issues in a complex, sophisticated way through wit and um, clever, right, ideas that tend to make us both happy and smarter. 
Yeah, let's talk about that because you say, uh, you you do say, and I guess you are saying now that satire gives us pleasure, it makes us feel good amidst all of this anxiety and fear and 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 depression. It uh, I, I guess it stimulates the good stuff in our the good chemical chemicals in our bodies, right? I mean, we're it. it um, I, I think of uh, SNL is a good example of that. Yeah, it's absolutely true. So, so think about um, something as simple as when Alec Baldwin was impersonating Trump, and we would see, uh, you know, their renditions of the debates he had with Hillary Clinton. So, those of us who watch those debates probably watch those debates feeling somewhat depressed. Um, the nature of the dialogue was negative the sort of weird stalking Trump did of Hillary Clinton in the town hall one, for example, was really kind of creepy. When you watch those things, you're, you know, you're trying to pay attention to what the candidates are saying, but you're also just getting somewhat overwhelmed with negative feelings. Then you get Alec Baldwin doing the exact same, very similar, right, rendition of uh, Trump's behavior, but they do things like play the Jaws dun, 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 <laughs> music in the background. And so that sort of satirical, ironic rendition of something which was, in fact, very disturbing is a, an opportunity, right, for the mind to say, okay, yeah, this really was absurd. I feel, I feel good recognizing this, and I also feel less alone because it's happening through this comedic space where I feel part of a, an audience, right? A part of a community. And so there's other layers to this that, again, have positive cognitive and affective, right, um, benefits for us. Well, let's talk about some of those layers, because I know you talk about the five ways that satire can actually, besides making us just feel good and, and taking pleasure and relieving the anxiety, but improving civic engagement and, and political knowledge and, uh, and also I guess you you also um, talk about the way it it makes us better or more informed citizens. Right, that's a lot though. <laughs> that's a lot. Okay, okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But we're ready to hear it. Tell us. Well, so um, one of the things that that satire does is it helps us recognize when we've been presented with issues and very simplistic frameworks that, in fact, don't serve um, our democracy, don't serve our citizenry. So um, one example that I like to use is when Stephen Colbert used to have his show where he was in character on the Colbert Report, he would, he would you know, play a character, right? And that character was supposed to be sort of, it, uh, a sort of adorable, but, what, you know, he liked to call it a well-meaning idiot. But what he was able to do was he was able to exaggerate the kinds of things that we hear in the political space. So one of the questions he would ask a lot of his um, uh, guests was George W. Bush, great president or greatest president? And it was funny because it showed you you were being given a false choice. You're being given a choice where you're not actually given a choice. So those kinds of little subtle satirical framings are really good for us cognitively because they remind us that we are consistently being given so-called choices that aren't truly the full range of choices. So that's just one example of how 
you're, it's fun. It's clever. It also reminds us that, um, you know, we can exercise our reason and cognitive thinking in a different way, right? And, and refuse those choices. Um, so that's just one example. I don't, you know, I don't know if you want me to keep going on. <laughs> no, well, that's a good example. You can give, I, I think one of the other things is, and it's, which is part of this, when you are listening to that, yeah, like uh, John Stewart, um, you, 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 people are, it's easier to remember. I think you can, when you see, when you have that kind of the impersonations or, you know, you have the satirical comedy, it's easier to remember the the political issues, I think, rather than if it's, you know, the straightforward stuff we may read in the, in the newspapers or on the news, but it's um, just, I yeah. think, yeah, go ahead. Well, no, this is a separate issue that is just, you know, 100%, uh, you know, the data is in on this, right? So many of your listeners will remember that math teacher maybe they had in middle school or an English teacher from high school who would come up with these goofy acronyms to remember things, and they were funny, and the teacher would be sort of acting a little dorky, but somehow those are things they still remember. And so we know without any question that the mind remembers through humor in a much higher level than when it's just sort of straightforward. And so for, and the reason for this, and this is exciting, is that it's that combination of positive affect with knowledge. Now, also, we know, and uh, your listeners will, will uh, probably have their own personal experiences of this, that we tend to remember negative things, things that come to us through fear and through negative emotions also at a very high level. So again, what we get you know, in, uh, with satire and comedy, when we're thinking about political issues and knowledge, we get that beneficial combination of positive affect and information. So study after study has shown that folks that watch these satirical shows just simply have higher aptitude and memory recall of political information. That's just a fact. So that's great. Um, but again, what also happens is these sort of exciting framing um, mechanisms that really help people understand stuff. So back when Hassan Minaj was on The Daily Show, he and, and and Trump had first been elected, and we had the uh, what we were calling at the time in the news media the Muslim ban, right? The ban on any uh, uh, travel from six um, majority Muslim countries, right? So Hassan Minhaj does this thing, and he says, you know, this is really scary. We have to really be worried. The you know there is a real Muslim problem here. This is you know very worrisome, and he goes on and on. And then at the time, Trevor Noah, who was host, said, "Well, yeah, explain this to me." Nasser Minaj said, "You know, Muslims should not travel to the United States. It's clearly not safe for them." <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> so rather than framing the idea that Muslims were the threat, instead he does this very clear buildup. And again, the, he does it in this very artful way where you can't tell who, again, is the threat until he surprises you and says, yes, the threat is this government that has this Islamophobic policy. And it was very effective, right? 
And so those are the kinds of things that are especially useful and that we simply don't see coming to us through, for example, mainstream news media. Trevor Noah, one of my favorites, uh, one of my favorite shows, actually, uh, was one of my favorite shows. I guess he's not on anymore. So you, just going back a little bit in your own history, I mean, you started, uh, you were the, you worked on the Harvard Lampoon, which did just that. Um, so let's go, I mean, I, was that your first introduction to how comedy, uh, satirical comedy, can uh, is a positive force in our political arena? Well, you know, I don't know. I was a college <laughs> student, and yeah. I am not sure that um, my time on the Lampoon was uh, primarily engaged with sophisticated political thinking, in all fairness. <laughs> but I did have this extraordinary um, opportunity. And, of course, I was also, it's important, to say. I was on the Lampoon not as a content creator. I helped manage and run the magazine on the business side, which meant that I got to be with folks like Conan O'Brien, etc., who were on the Lampoon at, at the time uh, uh, and were, you know, again, just very funny people. I got to be in the room with folks like that. Uh, Bill Oakley, who went on to um, uh, be a producer of The Simpsons, for example, folks like that. And so I, did, I think, if anything, I learned that I like being around satire. And I started to understand uh, just the sheer sort of joyfulness of being a part of something where, again, it's, it's smart comedy, if you think of it in the simplest of ways. It's smart comedy. It's not mean. It's not, again, sort of coming after people and mocking and bullying. It's 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 sort of teaching people to find pleasure in being clever, um, and to and again as a Harvard student, you know that that was also um, super fun for us. But but um, yeah, I just I wasn't the one that was funny. <laughs> I was the <laughs> one that was around the people that are funny. <laughs> you were the serious one. Um, but it, and it does it does bring people together, even people who are on the opposite sides of the you know political. Uh, opposite sides of the aisle, I guess you could say, you know, even I'm thinking as you're talking, even during the pandemic and since Andrew Cuomo's had a lot of problems, but one of the things that he did do uh, amidst the horrors of the whole thing, I, I watched him every day. He, he added humor to the situation. He, 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 there was a relief in listening to him. Um, and it wasn't just I or just people, I think, in New York, but it was it was really across the country. And, and he was able to do that. And um, yeah, he's, I, to me, that's an example of what we've been talking about in that. Well, and it's also a good example of how some of these things are, are some of the ways in which satire lands is con uh, context specific, because of course, East Coast sarcasm and satire, um, I've pretty much lived on the East Coast my whole life, is sort of different than what you might find in other parts of the country. And that is the sort of risk of satire, which is that, uh, you know, what is funny and clever to one person can seem somewhat caustic and disrespectful to someone else. So those are things that, you know, we want to keep in mind. And we want to recognize that satire isn't a one-size-fits-all sort of type of humor, in fact, there are almost no one-size-fits-all fits all types of humor other than, say, self-deprecating humor, which most people like. 
Uh, But that's one of the things that I work on in my research, too, which is understanding that satire's risks are the fact that those who are in on the joke get quite a lot of benefits, but those who feel like they're the target of the joke will tend to be, you know, have a very significant negative emotional reactions. All right. Let's tell us, let's talk specifically about that. What's the difference? Okay. I'm an East Coast person and I've lived here all my life as well. Um, So let's talk about somebody in, uh, I don't know, Omaha um, and uh, New York City and uh, a small town in Texas. And and what are the differences and what are the implications for satire in those three different examples I gave you? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that we recognize when we study the um, presence of satire cross-culturally is, again, just sort of modes of delivery context in which it's more acceptable than others. And what you might find, for example, in a place like Iowa is not that there's no sarcasm or satire. In fact, we generally find that um, irony is a very common form of human communication. Really globally, it's been present across time and everywhere. Uh, Some of my research looks at, uh, for example, the presence of Chinese ironic punning, etc. So this is really everywhere. The issue is how it's delivered and how, say, maybe um, bold-faced it might be. So someone from Iowa might give you their irony in a very deadpan way, and you might, you know, those of us East Coasters might miss it. (laughs) Whereas our uh, use of sarcasm and satire may seem a little aggressive to them. That's one example of a difference. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. And uh, as a personal experience, I used to work at a small radio station in upstate New York and uh, worked with somebody. I was the on-air personality. He was the one who did all the the tech stuff. And we had nothing in common in terms of I was left-wing, he was right-wing. I mean, all of the male, female, uh, Barry, he's conservative, I'm not, I'm liberal. And yet comedy and that kind of what we're talking about – just drew us together in terms of I we could la- we had so much we laughed over the very similar same things and what the, what we're talking about which was really interesting because in, in all other areas of our lives were totally different uh, except that one area and we could laugh till you cry actually and um, it was kind of a special relationship. But, um, yeah, so it, that, that's what brought us together and able to work together as well. Yeah, I mean, and so this is the piece where where some of the, you know, wh- where what we see is that satire has this community building function. Uh, and that's extremely, extremely powerful and uh, important, again, in the political arena. So going back to what we started with at the beginning of our conversation, you know, here we are, we are really tired of these issues. And frankly, we are pretty tired of these politicians. Um, Whether you were a Biden supporter or Trump supporter, the research is showing, um, the polling is showing that across the board, uh, folks are tired of this. Um, And so that's extremely bad for democracy. Because when we're tired, we start making excuses for not getting involved. 
and we just think, well, why bother? You know, it's the same thing. It's going on. That's the worst thing for our democracy. Our turnout in this country is already extremely low in comparison with other developed democracies. And we don't need more reasons not to get out and vote. So what we see is that satire does have this ability to remind us why we should get out there. And so um, some of the good comedy, I think, has been reminding us of the critical issues, for example, around climate change, of the critical issues around women's um, uh, rights to have uh, choices over their health. And so rather than allow this just to be about these, you know, sort of, I guess, tiresome, right, political leaders, um, satire can remind us that there's really important issues that we need to think about and get out there and vote so that we can make sure that our voices are heard. So that's the kind of stuff that is exciting. And so I like to look at people like Sarah Silverman, who does an exceptionally good job again and again of reminding people, hey, you know, don't let the noise of these men you know, distract <laughs> you from the fact that women have some very important things um, on the table here and we ought to get out. So that kind of stuff, I think, is very helpful. Sarah Silverman, another one of my favorites. Uh, so we need to stay in the game and it helps us to stay in the game and to participate and to not just it doesn't become the political scene doesn't become so overwhelming that we all leave the playing field. But don't you think that the media is, is is responsible? I mean, for like firing up all. I mean, we the the media. Well, the, the, there's obviously uh, makes money. Uh, it is a business uh, when they do fire everybody up, uh, no matter what the issues are. And so, but they keep doing. I, I think they're somewhat responsible for this. Um, yeah, I mean, when we talk about the media these days, that's a, such a big bucket. It's very yeah. confusing. Um, and we tend to really mean uh, mostly cable news because cable news gets a lot of our attention for the various ways in which it, it, it blows it, to be blunt. Um, but the good news is that folks get their information now through a range of sources, and cable news is increasingly attracting less and less viewers, even though, again, it gets a lot of attention because of how it does it. And so um, I think that with what um, the revelations about what Fox News did with the 2020 election, um, with sort of frustrations over CNN, I think we're really starting to see the last, um, you know, real era of cable news and the way it, it had been very important for decades, and folks are, are really seeking alternative sources. Uh, one of the things, though, that I think will be interesting to watch is um, whether or not, for example, the, the cable news, like what control it has over things like debates. Um, it's been very interesting to see that there may not be debates. I mean, I don't, to me, that's a shocker, but it seems quite possible. I mean, what would be the chances if, for example, Trump is the nominee, that um, we'd see a Biden-Trump debate? It's quite possible that won't happen. And if that doesn't happen, that's also going to mean that cable news is going to have even less of a footprint in terms of shaping the issues. And so there's both 
positive outcomes for that and negative ones. Because what you see then is this fragmentation of the, of the news media space, and you increasingly see people gravitating towards news media sources that already reaffirm their political positions. So to the extent that we see increased political polarization in the United States, most um, you know, most uh, indicators suggest that the polarization will only get worse with higher fragmentation. Um, so there's both positive and negative outcomes as we start to look at what what's going to happen with news media in 2024. Um, the the thing we know is that it's going to be different. Um, what we don't know is whether it's going to be different in a way that's helpful to the democratic process or not. My gut feeling is probably it won't be better, and that and that's what always brings us back to things like satire news. Um, John Stewart has this new show called The Problem with John Stewart. Well, not super new, but new-ish. And it's interesting to me to see if whether or not he's able to have a bit more of a footprint this cycle because he wasn't, um, you know, at the helm of The Daily Show uh, for either 2016 or 2020. Uh, but again, John Stewart's, uh, you know, reach at this point is, is significantly smaller than it was when he had was, uh, you know, host of the daily show. So, you know, again, hard to know. So what you're saying, we only have a couple of minutes left. We kind of leave it with a, a wait and see <laughs> in terms of what's going to happen with cable news and how it's going to affect us. But we do know how satire does affect us in a very positive way. So Trump was a joke. How satire made sense of a president that didn't. Uh, and I have been talking to the author, Dr. So- Sophia A. McLennan, um, Dr. McLennan, so how, give us more information in terms of uh, where we can go uh, to purchase your book, I assume online and bookstores everywhere, uh, but also websites to go to uh, for more information about you and the work that you're doing. Yes, my website is sophiamclennan.com, um, no period in there, and uh, the book is easy to find. All you have to do is just type in Trump was a joke and you'll have lots of choices. Uh, I'm also easy to find as a faculty member at Penn State in the School of International Affairs. Um, and I will just ask your listeners to remember that this election cycle, their voice is what matters the most, and they should continue to demand the best kind of reporting they can get on issues. And the more that the, you know, the citizenry demands um, good information, the better our chances of getting it. Um, so, Thanks. That's a great message. We appreciate it. And thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. And you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 